84. If it helps, you can close your eyes and focus on the content of these verses. Psalm 84 reads, How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's pray before we begin. Silently in our own hearts as we come before God, would you lift a personal prayer to the Lord, to our God? Perhaps echoing some of the sentiments that we've read in this psalm. How lovely is his dwelling place. Do you have a longing and yearning heart uh, for God? Do you sing um, for joy to this living God of ours? Let's find a home where our God is. So let's just pray together um, as we come before him and lift a prayer to him as we come before his presence. Let us pray. in Christ's name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, can I draw your attention to our screen where question 82 from our Westminster Shorter Catechism reads, Is any man able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? And the answer would be quite simple uh, to those of you seasoned in the church and the faith. But the answer to question 82 reads on the next slide, No mere man since the fall is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but doth daily break them in thought, word, and deed. That is to say that we are not able in this life to perfectly keep and uh, obey all the commandments of God, to be holy. And we are told that we break all of these commandments in thought, word, and deed daily. Daily simply meaning all the time, right? constantly breaking the commandments of God in some form or way, in our thought, word, and deed. Uh, as devastating as this news may be to some, and certainly uh, for the Christian, a reminder once again um, of our sinfulness, it could be devastating, but there is hope, of course, to come uh, as we read through these questions. Uh, but it is important that we recognize our sin and our sinfulness, that our complete fallen nature is understood uh, fully in ourselves so that we could also fully look to Christ. So please remember uh, the answer to this question and uh, we'll look at question 83 next week. With that said, allow me to pray as we go into time of song. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day. Uh, what an odd, peculiar weather for November in Toronto, but we thank you for it. We thank you for the sun and its heat and our uh, privilege to enjoy the weather this afternoon. God, we also uh, thank you for the community gathered here today to worship you. We thank you for the brother, sister next to us, behind us, in front of us, that we're able to, in our union with Christ, worship together you. And we ask, O oh Lord, that as we do worship you, as we do lift these songs and prayers to you, God, that you would be uh, glorified and that we would enjoy this time together as we come before you in remembrance of both our sinfulness 
and our gratitude for your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. We thank you for, once again, everything you provide in our lives. And we lift these songs to you. Pray in your name. Amen. Our praise team will lead us in a time of song. Let's rise for worship.
Welcome everyone once again uh, to our Sheep Gate Fellowship Sunday service. Uh, it's a pleasure to see all of you again um, on this glorious Lord's Day. As we continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark, if you could open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 29 to 34 today. We've already, of course, gone through the prologue of Mark in uh, verses 1 to 13, looked at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, following, of course, his baptism and call of his first disciples. Last week, we looked at him in a Capernaum synagogue, in which he, of course, uh, rebuked and um, um, cast out a demon, sorry, an unclean spirit from a man. Lost for words. It's been a long morning. Um, and then today we find ourselves uh, the immediately following that event um, in a particularly, I guess for some people, a passage that could be overlooked. And so let's read it together and examine what it has to teach us this day. Mark 1, 29 to 34. I'll read from my Bible and you can follow in yours. This is the word of God. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand. The fever left her, and she waited on them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. The whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Amen. The word of God. Many things, of course, have been occurring in the world today. And so we'd like to take a moment to pray for a couple of these things. Firstly, our unreached people group of the day. They come from, the Bang- uh, from Bangladesh, uh, a mainly Hindu group. They are called the Sunri, spelled S-U-N-R-I. There are about 356,000 of these people, and none are Christian, at least on record. And so we like to pray for the Sunri people who live in mainly Bangladesh, but other parts of India as well. So mainly Hindu group, unfortunately, completely unreached at this time. So we're praying for them. Uh, I'd like to pray one more prayer this week uh, for the tragedy that has occurred in Korea last week in Itaewon. As the details continue to roll out about the event itself, it is saddening and sickening um, just how this could have possibly happened. And so uh, this past week, uh, learning more and more about what occurred and hearing the eyewitness accounts, and of course, we live in an internet era with phones, a lot of video and photo content. Um, It is quite devastating and disgusting what occurred, Um, but my heart goes out to those who lost, you know, their sons, their daughters, people who really lost, like, a loved one. Can't imagine uh, getting that news as more and more people are, um, of course, we're discovering, have deceased. And so we'd like to pray for them uh, in their mourning and that uh, at this time, that they would find comfort and peace. Hopefully, uh, that the church in Korea would be uh, the right voice to speak into the matter and that they would speak wisely uh, with discernment to those who are suffering. Let's pray together, and then we'll begin. Gracious God, we thank you at this time. We thank you for the gift of your word, for it is so prolific in its teaching that our 
human minds or mortal minds cannot comprehend its truth. And so, Father, we ask for the Spirit to work in us today to understand that which your word has to teach us. Father, we also pray for the Sudanese of Bangladesh, the 350,000 of these people who are completely lost in um, the tradition of Hinduism. We ask, O Lord, that missionaries and Christians would share the gospel to these people. Uh, They would come to hear the good news and respond in faith as you've ordained. Father, we ask also for uh, Koreans and different people uh, across the nation of Korea who've lost loved ones as a result of a tragedy, a tragedy that really could have been very easily avoided. Um, It seems like human stupidity has prevailed once again. Um, in allowing such things. So, Father, as much as we have to learn about the details of this event, those who are mourning the loss of loved ones, our heart goes out to them, and we ask that uh, they would find, hopefully, peace and comfort in Christ, that the church would be uh, a voice of healing and a voice of truth, and they would speak wisely into the matter and to those who need to hear it. We thank you. Always, for your Son, Jesus Christ, when we turn to your word and seek its truth. Pray all this in your name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, our sermon is entitled, The Ministry of Jesus. I've simply titled it because the text itself is quite simple. It's very easy to overlook these six verses as simply just a minor, if you will, detail in the the ministry of Christ. Certainly, these are not events that I think people are able to recount as being prominent in the ministry of Christ, but we will hopefully observe its prominence in terms of what it has to teach us. Thus far in Jesus' earlier stages of his earthly ministry, we have observed somewhat of a less outwardly spectacular performance of divine power, if you will, right? Less miracles than you're used to. And so far in Mark's gospel, it's been a heavier focus and emphasis on the content of the message that Christ had come to preach. The last episode prior to today's text did include, of course, an exorcism of an unclean spirit within a Capernaum synagogue. However, this display of power is articulated and narrated by Mark as more of an authoritative word of Christ against this unclean spirit rather than really like a mighty show of divine power. Mark is making it clear that the signs and wonders of Christ's ministry are not meant to distract us from the true power found in Christ himself and the very words he spoke. Perhaps a synchronized parallel of John's articulation of Christ as the word who was with God and is God. There's been clear emphasis on who Jesus is and for what true purpose he came. But Mark does not shy away from the spectacular displays of power of Jesus. He strategically adds them and and narrates them to his gospel to help listeners and understand what Christ wanted others to know about him that the divine power he possesses was not meant to heal them of their earthly estate, although that was something that occurred, but rather that his healing was that was uh, really of eternal consequence. And so what are we to get out of a text like today that seems to focus so heavily on simply the superficial healings of the sick and the lame? Is this just Mark giving us a heads up that Christ can heal us too? Hey, don't forget, Jesus can heal. Or is there more? A fascinating point of focus is the end of our passage today, where he does not permit, he meaning Jesus, does not permit the demons to speak of him because they knew exactly who he was. Quite peculiar, right? Mark is not simply adding detail for the sake of it. I don't think we can draw that conclusion. There is intention in these verses, and we will attempt today to understand that purpose. I'd like to break down this text by focusing on three different layers or elements that we can observe present in the narrative. These are three layers, if you will, that will guide our understanding of the theological understandings that are within the text itself. So the first thing I want to focus on is the transition from the synagogue to the house. The second is the transition from the religious crowd to the commoner. And then third, we will look at that peculiar portion of this text, the hiding of the identity of Jesus. Three things. Let's begin with the first, from the synagogue to the house. 
The word euthis has been used throughout the opening chapter of Mark. In English, it's immediately. And this word uh, in the opening chapter of Mark thus far has been used as a means to dictate pace. Remember I told you the gospel of Mark moves quickly. And it dictates change in geography, placement. Today we see a shift from the setting of a synagogue scene to the house of Peter's mother-in-law, or Simon's mother-in-law. A parallel account of this story can be found in Luke's gospel. But there, the illness of this mother-in-law is, in fact, demon possession. She has an unclean spirit. And so, in Luke's gospel, Jesus commands the unclean spirit to leave her body, and it does. Here, Mark's account, which likely came from Peter, is focused more on the act of Jesus helping this woman, the compassion he shows, rather than the exact nature of the illness itself. For all we are given is the detail of a fever, which in the New Testament, that term fever can mean a multitude of things. I want to take a moment to allow Mark's telling to take center stage. He sets up this narrative cleverly by shifting the displacement of the setting. If you blink, you'll miss it. But remember that in the verses prior, we are amidst what? A religious crowd in a religious building on a religious day. Jewish people, Jewish synagogue, on the Jewish Sabbath. There, the synagogue represented order, it represented function, law, and all that was deemed good in the eyes of the Jews of Jesus' day. The house of a lowly woman who was ill is no place for a Jewish rabbi, let alone the Son of God. And yet, that is where his ministry takes him. Perhaps a telling tale for those who had improper definitions of what ministry was and where it ought to take place. The Samaritan Uh, the Good Samaritan parable comes to mind. We know from other texts that the Pharisees prided themselves on boasting and flaunting their religious piety and practice in public spaces, praying in public, right? So as to diminish what? The faith and practice of others. It's a flaunting of I'm better than you, right? But here we see a humility in Jesus and a genuine compassion that flows from that humility. But the private home is indeed a place for the lowly. The lowly in the sense that a man of high esteem could still practice his ministry there if he is willing to be among those in need. If Jesus' earthly life is meant to demonstrate how the human life ought to be lived, then certainly there is something to be learned in that he is willing to go where the sick are and tend to their needs. We're not trying to overcomplicate Uh, the text itself, and make it seem like it means something that it doesn't. But I think there is absolute reason why Mark shifts so quickly from the synagogue to the house. But do not be shocked that Jesus is found in a private estate to do his ministry and his work, for he is no foreigner to uncommon displacements or massive displacements. He is, after all, the Son of God, whose origin is the heavenly throne from which he was sent to earth to incarnate, to take on flesh, and be among the unholy. He went from, of course, the throne of God to a manger in Bethlehem. Here we find him in a synagogue, quickly in a house. So what's the takeaway? As your pastor, I hope this, and maybe this means more to me than to you, but as your pastor, I hope this would be a reality for me and my ministry, that I'm not simply a man of the pulpit and one who ministers within the walls of the church, but rather, as Christ exemplifies, takes my ministry wherever I may be found. But for us all, pastor or not, may we learn from the humility that Christ displays in the text today. That he's willing to be in the presence of this woman, to help her in her time of need. Which brings us to the second point. A shift, a drastic shift, from the religious crowd to just simply the crowd of the commoner. If the setting touches on the humility displayed by Jesus, then the audience to which Jesus lends his helping hand indicates his general compassion. Note that it is easy to read this text and focus solely on the healing ministry of Christ that he healed, a focus that isn't wrong in the sense that that is truly what Christ did for these people in that very moment. He certainly healed them. In fact, many people came and were healed. They were healed by divine power. But the power of Christ to heal, brothers and sisters, if you know who he is, should not surprise you. 
it is evident that what Mark wants to get across as the amazing, spectacular part of Christ is his immense compassion for people so undeserving. Especially the people who were completely undermined, completely disregarded during this time. The sick and the lame were considered social and religious outcasts by the Jews who viewed these ailments as signs of unrepented sin and defect in them. They didn't want to poison their own perfection and religiosity by mingling with such folk. And yet here the Son of God is not only among them, but has compassion for them and is extending help. The conclusion is great, that one is healed, but the source is even greater, that God has care for those in need. The shift in setting signaled a humility in Christ's ministry, but furthermore, the shift in crowd, in audience, is equally powerful in demonstrating his compassion for us. For Jesus takes himself from the crowd of the religious, the proud, to the crowd of the outcast, the humble. We ought not, brothers and sisters, to pride ourselves in our religiosity. Being religious is fine, and religion as a whole is certainly not a bad thing. In fact, the Bible speaks of it, speaks positively of it. But let's not amuse ourselves, not fool ourselves. We tend to weaponize religion. What I mean by this is this. We can take our knowledge and use it as a weapon to attack others if not properly understood and practiced. It's not to say that knowledge of our religion, not knowledge of God, and having theological accuracy and precision and a vastness and depth and, and breadth of knowledge is a bad thing. That knowing your Bible and knowing your God is a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all. That's what we should all be in pursuit of. We are not to use that knowledge to oppress and undermine others, as many of these Pharisees did. It's important to ground ourselves in deep and rich theological truths. I hope our church has been trying to provide you with that, and I hope you've been getting it. Although at times it can be quite boring, right? <laughs> to be fervent and zealous in all we do for God, but not at the expense of loving neighbor. I think those things have to go hand in hand. This is the fine and delicate balance we must discover, or else our religious precision is but what Paul calls a noisy symbol, a loveless practice. We should always seek to know and act upon proper biblical truths and to condemn ungodliness. But these are things that can be done without hating, without firing at others, without neglecting those in need. And, in fact, loving them, helping them. For who could be more theologically accurate than Jesus himself, right? And here he is extending help and compassion. A second thought and takeaway is this, that we cannot be locked into a religious crowd. And I don't mean to say, like, it's wrong to be in a religious crowd. I think it's important for us to have Christian influence, Christian friends, and to have a Christian community, a strong community. In fact, that should be the primary community that as believers, we ought to be engaging ourselves with. For we're weak. When we're mainly with the secular, we tend to lean that way. To live in a solely Christian bubble is certainly not how we are able to become salt and light in this world. We live in the world, among the world, separate from the world, but also for the world. A quote from an age-old German Christian whose name has lost my mind, we're called out of this world to go right back into it. I think we need to remember this, that we do have a missional mandate in our lives as well, right? So it's important for us to be a church, to grow as a church, to grow as a Christian community, but it's also important that we're extending and we're sharing and heralding this gospel of Jesus to the rest of this world who has yet to hear and yet to know. Then the third thing, why this peculiar end to our text? the hiding of the identity of Jesus. This is where I spent most of my reading this week. It's quite extensive, so I can't share everything with you. But we come to this most perplexing element of today's text, the command from Jesus to the demons to remain silent about who he is. To take this point to its end would require much time, 
much more time than we have. So I want to narrow it down to just a few simple points that I think will drive home the main thesis, but will also stir in your minds a reason to ponder the emphasis from Mark, I hope. First is this, the practical reason for the silencing of the demons. I think this is pretty much agreed upon all across the board in scholarship. The silencing of the demons, uh, the purpose behind it was that it was not yet time for Christ's identity to be fully known by the religious figures of the time. And at the proper time, that claim of Christ and that knowledge of that claim will be made known to them and will become the very charge for which Jesus is tried, condemned, and ultimately crucified. This crucifixion is to happen at a God-appointed hour, and that hour had not yet come. So there's a practical reason for this. It's not time for the cross yet. It's going to build towards that. Then there are two, I think, biblical reasons that we can observe in uh, debate over this particular verse or verses of why this occurred. One is theological and the other, I would say, is Christological. The first is this, theological reason, is that the proclamation of the coming of Christ and the identity of, of who Jesus is was not meant to be made by the mouths of demons and unclean spirits. This was no way for this information to be made known and nor for it to spread through this particular method. The declaration of the demon in the synagogue calling Jesus the Holy One of God was likely accounted as crazy talk by the hearers. And so Jesus' quick dismissal and removal of the said demon makes sense. And so he doesn't want these demons proclaiming who Jesus is because it's not the proper voice to be heralding this particular piece of information. It is rather through people, the people of God to be exact, that others will come to know who Jesus is. Their testimonies, their heralding of the gospel of Jesus, this is the means by which Jesus, or as God's mission will unfold. Then the Christological reason is this, that the Messiah was one to be hidden and later revealed, as God so chooses the time. We see such prophetic texts on this in Isaiah and the Psalms, where the servant of God is to be hidden and made known at the proper time. He is to be one who is oppressed for the reason of not being known fully and later made known fully through other means. There is to be restraint on the end of this servant in making himself fully known, for he is to suffer as a result of not being fully known. This is a key marker of the servant of God in Isaiah's Messianic hymns, for example. And hiddenness is a key theme throughout the Old Testament in regards to the servant of God. So we have a couple of reasons there why we can perhaps theorize and assume why Jesus would have wanted the, the demons to not speak of him uh, even though they knew who he was. It also goes to just show, once again, to reiterate the point last week, it's quite sad that the demons are the ones who know Jesus is. And, well, John the Baptist, let's give him credit. He kind of knew, right? But the rest of everyone else simply did not know. But I come to my conclusion today, and it's the final reason why I think, uh, the final reason I want to share with you why I think this piece of information was hidden, why the demons were silenced. And this final reason will tie, I think, everything we learned today together. And so I'll make this final point my conclusion for today's sermon. For the purposes of Christ's ministry, and likewise for this gospel, the narrative builds toward, gospel Mark, the narrative builds towards what? I told you in the very beginning, the introduction to Mark. It builds towards the understanding of the true nature and identity, and origin of Christ. And where does that climax? It climaxes at the cross. That is where he is fully made known. Anything prior to the moment of the cross is but a premature understanding of who Jesus is. So the demons who knew fully who Jesus was were silenced at this time so that this understanding could be best made known to all of mankind on the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not to say that Jesus' identity is ultimately made on the cross. 
That identity is already a reality even at the beginning of his ministry. He is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He is here to save us. He is the Messiah. But that will be fully made known to mankind on the cross as he accomplishes his great work. That's where Mark's gospel is building towards. That's what Jesus' ministry was building towards. And so the silencing of the demons makes sense. That this fully knowingness of Christ and who he is comes to fruition at the moment of Christ's great glory on the cross. And the cross, my brothers and sisters, is where every single one of us who declares and confesses themselves to be a Christian, that is where we come to know who Jesus is. For Mark 15, at the foot of the cross, who do we find but a Roman soldier looking up and declaring Jesus as truly the Son of God? It is not Christ's humility, that one attribute. Christ's compassion, that one attribute. Christ's coming, that one event. Nor even his miraculous powers of healing, divine power, that compels the human heart nor fills the human mind with knowledge and belief of who Jesus is. Those could be trigger points. Those could be attractive points. Those could be magnets of some sort. But they all gravitate to the cross. For where is his love and compassion and humility and power most emphatically displayed and climaxed? It is the cross. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. For that cross is where our Savior hung and where our sins were washed away. Church, may we marvel every living moment of our lives at the cross of Christ, which appropriately is where I find this quote from John Stott, the cross of Christ, and I end with this quote. Stott writes, it was by his death that he wished above all else to be remembered. There is then, it is safe to say, no Christianity without the cross. If the cross is not central to our religion, ours is not the religion of Jesus. Spare our heads in prayer and reflect on what, what God has taught us today through his word.
seated. Let's have a few announcements today to conclude our service. First and foremost, welcome everyone. If it's your first time, welcome. And if you haven't been here in a while, welcome back. Uh, it's good to see all of you on this beautiful day. Our offerings can be sent via e-transfer to sheepgatefellowship at gmail.com. And this week, I've repented and I've remembered the offering basket. But it is not a basket. It is a dish. It's in the back. <laughs> um, and so the old school offering uh, method, which I think is uh, appropriate, is right there in the back on that red velvety looking table. Uh, and there's also envelopes there. So if you like to give uh, that way, you can certainly do so. If you're giving towards our Asia Minor or local campus ministers, uh, missionaries, then please uh, just indicate that in those section. We'll make sure it gets to them. Uh, we'd like to invite you to all, all of you to our fellowship after service today. We're going to head over to our older building. It's a little smaller, and a little tighter, um, but makes us close. And so we're going to eat together. Our KM has graciously provided food again. Um, today is like, I don't know how to say it in English. It's like bean sprout bibimbap. Um, that's the best way I can describe it. Anyways, join us uh, for a wonderful meal and fellowship. Uh, our confession study will follow lunch, or I guess late lunch today, uh, following our meal, do the dishes, clean up, and we'll immediately get into our confessions study. Uh, and so please join us for that if you're able and willing. Our men's and women's disciples groups met this past week. I heard fantastic things about the women's group, uh, but the men's group, I didn't hear much, but I was there, and it was fantastic. Um, so, yeah, please join us uh, for the next month's uh, gathering, if you're able, we'd love to see you there. Uh, this week's uh, Bible study on John, which we normally hold on Thursdays, uh, is unfortunately not going to be held this week, uh, only due to the fact that I'll be at York, KC, this week. Um, so if you want to join us there, you can certainly join us there, but I'll be at York uh, for their gathering, their campus gathering, so we're going to pause on the Bible study for this particular week. So just take note of that and let others know who are not in our church that do attend that. Yesterday was David's birthday. David Chung, happy birthday. Yes, happy birthday. Your gift, your gift is on the way. Um, and so I'll present you with your gift next week. However, we do have a cake. So, you know, that's really why we're clapping. Um, so we'll have cake following lunch uh, at the church today. Uh, so please join us for that. Um, I 
I think I, oh, yes. I've been told on the pamphlets on your way in, we have, we have a new section, meet our members, two truths and a lie. Lying is not condoned in the church. Um, this is a sin. This is actually one of the Ten Commandments. Um, I don't know why this is included in here. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I know it's a joke. Anyways, uh, fun little game. Uh, so I think Ivy and Andrew will maybe like highlight two of our members each week. And so if you get chosen, have a lie ready, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, I guess that's how it works. So that's that. Um, I think uh, we are planning to have a Christmas gathering. It's weird to talk about Christmas. The weather's so nice, right? Um, we're planning to have a Christmas gathering this year again. Last year, unfortunately, we, not unfortunately, but we had to, because of Omicron, do it at church. Uh, but this year, we get to, I guess, uh, rent out a space. So Liz and I actually booked our condo party room for the December 22nd. So mark that down on your calendar. That's a Thursday. Because Christmas is on a Sunday this year, I believe those of you who work, you get the Friday off, I think. At least for Liz, that, that's what it was. I think you will get the Friday off. Um, but anyways, whether you do or do not, it'll be in the evening on the 22nd. And we'd love to see all of you there. Uh, the person in charge this year is, thank God, not Mikey, because last year he totally bombed that project. Um, but this year, uh, Aria will be leading our Christmas party. Um, Wow, that's a huge applause. For s- <laughs> that's the effect you had, Mikey. Um, but thank you. No, you're, you did a wonderful job last year. Um, but yeah, so this year, Ariel will be leading that. So please look forward to that. We'd love to see you all there. Please book off that date if possible. And um, we have a team ready to plan that for us and have a good time. So uh, we'll give you more details as we get closer to that. With that said, um, I'm going to welcome up Jordan and Christina um, as they're going to share a little bit about their life. <laughs> um. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, yeah, thankful um, to have this opportunity to share with you um, kind of where we are. And if you don't know who we are, like Matt said, I'm Jordan, this is Tambi. You're probably more familiar with Tambi because she is um, a member of Shiki for past couple years now. How many years? A little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm the new one, so you're like, who's this guy? But um, yeah, as many of you know, we've gotten, ma- we've gotten married two weeks ago. Um, and many of you were there, and we were very happy to have you, and it was such an amazing night uh, just to celebrate and to have many of you help out as well, so thank you so much. Um, and uh, we wanted to share with you, um, I guess, a couple things moving forward of where we are as a family and um, where we'd like to go in the future as our vision. So um, my parents are, so currently we're living in my parents' place in Oakville, um, and they're planning to move to BC, and they're in the process of selling the house and getting things packed. Um, so we thought about like um, looking for our own place as we got married, but we thought it'd be nice to help them move out um, for the next few months. Um, at the same time, uh, just look for a rental place, as the market's pretty high right now because inflation. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> kind of worked out. And um, in the meantime, we decided to... Um, um, to uh, go to my church, my home church, uh, Hope Bible Church in Oakville, um, for the next few months. Um, however, our future long-term goal is to come back to Sheepgate. Um, and we want to be intentional with this particular point, which is that Tambi and I have a vision. Uh, we share in Max's vision for the church, for Sheepgate. Um, we're both you know, heavily in campus ministry. If you don't know, I'm campus staff at McMaster for KC. Uh, we have such a heart for just um, discipleship and growing in our faith, doing life together, but also teaching and to learn God's word together. Um, and we see that wonderfully shown here, and we love to be a part of it in the future going forward. Uh, we acknowledge that uh, this is the present plan, and things can change until then. Uh, so if the Lord leads us into a different direction until then, um, we'll let you guys know. Um, but um, 
yeah, we're, we're excited. Um, and we want to be intentional in our time in Hope because if you don't know Hope Bible Church, they're pretty big and they're really theologically uh, grounded and sound too. Um, so they have a lot of resources. Um, they love to do ministry with like uh, premarital counseling, where, which we were a part of, grief share, um, recovery, addiction. They have a whole lot of programs there. So my hope and our hope is to learn as much and to be trained as, I guess, lay people. Um, we're not like elders or anything, but <laughs> um, we want to be intentional with that and to let you guys know that um, by the time we do come back to Sheepgate, we can uh, serve and to do ministry together with you all with all the things that we've learned um, through Hope as well. So um, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah. Anything to add? I think you covered all the bases. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, we're going to pray for you. Um, not as a, I guess, full send off, but at least for a temporary. You're like rental for them, right? <laughs> so it's like, um, we'll, we'll let you have them for a little bit. But um, uh, we're very grateful. I'm personally like, like for the rest of my life, uh, owing to Tamdi's service in the church. And for Jordan, um, yeah, like, thank you for continuing to carry on the torch on campus. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I'm very grateful for both of you. And uh, we're looking forward, of course, to your journey and having you back whenever that may be, Lord willing. But in the meantime, we'd like to send you off with prayer and blessing. Um, and so if you can, if you'd like to, you can extend the hand of prayer to them. But I will pray on behalf of the church and uh, we'll send them off. Gracious God, we thank you so much uh, for our sister Christina, brother Jordan. We thank you for, first and foremost, their faithfulness uh, to Christ. We thank you for their love of God and their love of your word and their desire uh, to have a Christ-centered relationship, to have a Christ-centered marriage and a God-honoring marriage, and to build a family uh, with those foundations. Uh, I pray that they will continue to be an example to all of us. Lord Father, although it's sad for us uh, to have to temporarily let them go, uh, we know that all things, um, that you are in control. And so, Father, we ask that you uh, just work in their lives, in the season that they're in, and what they're able to gain from hope, that they would be able to do so and mature and grow immensely. And perhaps some of those blessings uh, would be overflow to us when they come back. And so, Father, in the meantime, we just pray for them and bless them we ask for your guidance over their future steps and to take care of their family and to watch over them in their growth and sanctification and their maturation. Um, and so, Father, even though we may not physically be together, and at this time, um, for the few months that they're gone, uh, may we be still uh, spiritually united in both prayer and in heart and in vision and in desire and pursuing Christ always. We thank you for both of them so much. Pray all this in your name. Amen. Okay, thank you. Maybe seated. So yeah, a little sad, but uh, still like uh, Tambi wanted to like still um, be a little like part of the women's DGs and stuff like that. So we'll, we'll figure out the logistics, but uh, please just keep them in your prayer. I think that's the most important thing. Um, as I am learning, it's very hard uh, to start a family, right? So it's, uh, there's always, like, um, difficulties with that. But with that said, let's rise. We'll end off the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Enjoy. And we'll see you at the other building if you're willing to join us for fellowship.